and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io I am here with our guest today, Anand Safi. He's joining me from Mark 43. And uh, before we jump into today's topic, I would like to have him introduce himself. I know he is employed as a senior engineering manager, but what are his passions? What are his projects? Uh, Please let us know a bit more about you. Thank you so much for the introduction, Carolina. I am Anand Safi. I currently am a senior engineering manager at Mark 43. I lead the mobile engineering teams here. And just a little bit about me is uh, over the past, I would say, 12 years, I've progressed from starting as a SDET, as an automation engineer, to kind of now leading engineering teams. So it has been a great journey working across the SDLC stack. I also actually did part of my schooling in India. Then I did my master's uh, in the U.S. and worked there for a decade. And then over the past two and a half years, I am currently in Canada, in Montreal. So I've kind of uh, lived, worked, or just experienced uh, three different countries and cultures, which is uh, immensely valuable and just uh, helps me kind of just uh, keep my mind open to new experiences and perspectives. Just to end that, uh, I do a lot of kind of community engagement in in form of either mentorship on on various platforms, a startup advisory for three pre-seed startups currently, and then uh, I'm also volunteer board member for two nonprofits. Me and my wife have a big passion for food blogging or like our foodies, which kind of most people are, but our food, little food blog has over 85,000 followers on Instagram. And I love exploring kind of new places for culinary delights and cocktails. So yeah, that's a little bit about me, a bit of engineering, a bit of leadership, and then a bit of kind of food influencing on the side. I love that. Thank you so much. It sounds like a multicultural, eventful life that you're leading. Thank you for for sharing that with us. And without further ado, let's jump into today's topic, which is how to build trust in remote teams. We talked about this uh, before the recording. This is a topic that might be a little out of reach for for some engineering leaders who are the main listeners of the show. So let's just start by defining our topic. Um, In your opinion, please tell us what trust in the workplace means. Yeah, and I I thank you for saying in my opinion, because this is a question I ask myself every day while working with my team members. Uh, This is not one of those uh, conversations where I'm an expert or I've lived through kind of the success criteria. It's an evolving kind of concept uh, as we navigate the times currently. So for, for me, currently trust in workplace or my definition is that it's an abstract item to comprehend and it's very kind of individual driven. Um, In the end, if I had to put it in one sentence, I think it's kind of the level of reliability and credibility you see in another individual or organization, Uh, right? So it's, it's basically how much you feel that uh, whatever you're hearing or experiencing is reliable and credible in that sense. It, or might or might not always be tied to, I would say, experiences. You could join a new company or team and within the first week, you either start trusting too much or you always trust too little, actually. So there's also a little bit of this preconceived notion or kind of just mindset that you derive, whether you are open to giving kind of people in situations the benefit of the doubt, or you would rather kind of just... uh, trust from the get-go and always see the bright side of kind of any experience actually. So it's it's abstract and then it also kind of in the end relates to how credible or reliable you see the individual or the information that you're presented with. Right. I love that because it also tells us how it might be important. I think I read from Stephen Covey maybe that... um, when trust is is up, then cost is low usually, and d- 
decisions can be made faster and when trust is low then the cost is high and decisions take usually more time because people need to feel out for each other so what you said it uh, gives a business reality to to the topic and as to why we are talking about it let's jump into a little about our current situation we've been in the pandemic going on three years What's the difference, in your opinion, between building trust in a remote team and then in an office environment? Yeah, I think just, at least in my opinion, I think the the future, as far as I can see or predict, is definitely going to be a combination of remote and hybrid, actually. That's where I see most teams going. So I think it is very critical now to get our best practices or thoughts in order for remote culture uh, first, since it's, I think, a little bit harder there than in person. I would say the advantages in the office environment are really just uh, go up to someone's desk, actually, just uh, meet them in the hallway, meet them in the kitchen or just kind of uh, go for a coffee walk or you are within the room with the same person, right? So there's a lot that can be said and felt from a body language or just kind of interpersonal like interaction in person uh, that has huge advantage in terms of just uh, overcoming, I would say, any miscommunication or any kind of a second guessing that might come up actually. The challenge in in office environment that I see is because people, or I also got too comfortable with the office environment setting, uh, it became twice more difficult to build that in a remote environment. And that's why it, it was just kind of really easy that, oh, I will just tackle this when I see you. Or uh, people always held the notion that the only way to kind of build trust or, or really kind of overcome a hurdle was to have an in-person conversation. Like, why don't you come next week and then we'll sort that out in person or we'll go over that once you're here. That thing is fading now over the past 12 to 15 months, actually. But that was a challenge in the office environment back then, actually, which I felt. Another thing that I felt was that in office, it was not always possible that you did a one-on-one with every single person. There's also a lot of kind of group and social interactions, actually, at times. While in a remote environment, there is actually a possibility that if you really make the effort or, or genuinely have an interest, you can do these one-on-ones kind of more frequently or just connect with people for 15, 20 minutes, actually. I don't remember in office where my days were just meeting with all members of my team 20 to 30 minutes a day, or otherwise I'll just be in a conference t- room all day, and then I'll meet one person after the other, right? It's more kind of ad hoc and just more casual conversations. But here there is scheduled time, 30 minutes with the person. So you are genuinely kind of forming a connection and and kind of going over that. So I think the advantage in remote culture is there is definitely an opportunity for us to form a sustainable culture of communication if we crack that correctly. There is less upkeep or monitoring from leadership to facilitate conversations, right? Once people have found that kind of rhythm, I don't need to kind of currently in my teams see if whether uh, the front end or the back end engineer are connecting or the product manager is getting the answer they need from a staff engineer on a technical feasibility thing. Those connections are simply happening now as people get more comfortable. Another thing I will say, uh, one huge thing that we don't realize is in the office environment, people still had personal lives, right? The school pickup or just staying home to take care of a loved one or not feeling great. So that was always some form of time boundary, actually, that, oh, my, I just got free at 4 p.m., but the person I wanted to talk to just kind of left at 3.30 because they had something. In the remote environment, all of that goes away. You have the flexibility of time, actually. Depending on the working hours or overlap hours, you can find the time to connect or there is more kind of genuine investment in that regard, actually. The challenge that I'll end kind of my uh, explanation with the remote environment it's difficult to showcase and practice inclusive leadership that, that I experience actually, that I can connect a lot with people individually, but in a group, how do I make sure that I am kind of just getting everyone's opinions heard or just kind of, I think it was a little bit easier for me to do that in person, in a conference room actually, but here the amount of interrupts or how to kind of let everyone have their voice in the remote environment is a little bit tricky. 
we don't want to just use this raise a hand feature all day or just kind of call on people in those things actually. And then I would say misunderstandings a little bit more likelier uh, to arise in this remote first medium because we are still currently, I'm currently in my home environment, right? Maybe I just had kind of not a great uh, personal moment out there or I just le learned that somebody in my family is not feeling well. So I might have mixed facial expressions or just kind of on a Zoom meeting or a call talking with you. I might have other things going on. So there's a a tiny bit chance that we are open to kind of misinterpretation based on what people are kind of going through in their personal lives or just kind of because the work and personal life are so much intertwined actually. And then mm -hmm. one really important point that I'll say is it's also easy for us to kind of in human nature to second guess somebody's kind of commitment uh, to uh, discipline or time management. If I am say five minutes late to our call today, um, I would be okay thinking, oh, because I was talking to my parents or, or, or because uh, I was doing a chore, that was the case actually. But if a coworker does that, we, after a certain point in time, if we see that behavior, like we might kind of start guessing, okay, are they lazy? Do they don't respect the, the somebody's time? But it's difficult to understand and truly respect that everyone has kind of personal lives actually. And we might think that they're not holding up their end of the bargain in a remote first environment actually. So mm -hmm. I think it's just the open-ended interpretation that's a little bit challenging, but there's a huge value of collaboration and flexibility if we kind of do this right and can keep and sustain it actually in the remote environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about what facial expressions you might use because you had just gotten some unfortunate news or anything like that, I Im immediately thought, isn't that the the point of trust though? So if we were in such a situation, I would hope that you would feel comfortable enough with me to say, you know, I just had some uh, really bad news delivered. Or if I saw that your facial expressions were kind of mixed or or maybe not accurate to the situation, I would hope that I would be comfortable enough with you or trusting you enough to say, look, Anand, I see that um, you m a, a little bit act like you're all over the place. Is everything all right? Um, and in this sense, I feel trust becomes even more important in a, in a remote setting. Yeah, 100%. So that's why it, it's, it's beautiful you bring up this point because it is both a challenge and can quickly become an advantage, right? The hard part of trust is building it and then kind of repairing broken trust. The part that, that once the trust is established, that has huge rewards actually. So uh, one article by BBC actually stated that there are two type of trusting personalities. One is automatic uh, personalities, which I was saying, and then the second is evidence-based, actually. For the people who are automatically trusting, like love the company culture or connect from the get-go, they would always kind of, as you said, right, the facial expression, the first thing they will kind of pause and say, are you okay? Like, are you going through something? We can always connect another time or let's take it offline. Take the time you need. The evidence-based folks actually who are still trying to figure out how much their peers and kind of coworkers trust them, or they're still kind of finding uh, their place in the company, uh, which are new to the team, they might find it twice more difficult in these situations where somebody is either not paying enough attention to them or are kind of less invested in what they have to say. So there is a minor chance where that kind of just even uh, sets them back even further while they were building trust. So that's what I was trying to get at, that what you said is it can be a huge advantage once to once it's there from a sustainable culture standpoint, actually, um, and you will get all the support and love you need from your colleagues and coworkers because we spend 50 to 75% of the time we are awake with these folks in various forums, like on calls or Slack or emails or, or various kind of methods. So that is important. But while you are establishing trust or kind of just new to a team or environment, that kind of, I would say, environment can just be a little confusing, actually, in that regards. Thank you for, for elaborating on that. I am under the impression that you joined uh, Mark 43 while the pandemic was going on. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So 
Uh, you mentioned hybrid environments. I don't know if you are working in a hybrid environment right now, but if you could share uh, maybe some stories as to how you built trust when you joined in the pandemic, I think that might help us get a yeah. better grasp. Right. So I have been currently in a fully remote environment. I currently live uh, six and a half, seven hours from my closest company office in Toronto, but I've not had a chance to go yet because of the various kind of uh, different waves and office closures, actually. So my experience over the last 13 months with Mark 43 and the team has been directly related to building trust in a remote team, actually. And my experience or story is a little bit more, I would say, interesting because there were multiple levels of challenges uh, or opportunities, however you look at with this role. Uh, it's not only a new role that I took upon and joined a new team. What I took on was a new division or concept to the company itself. So I had two levels of, I would say, hurdles to get across. First is establishing kind of my place and trust with my peers and learning the organization culture. But at the same time, the division that I took on was just six months into its inception. So I also had to advocate and make a place for the division itself, actually. So just to give some background, when I joined Mark 43, we had just started our mobile division, which was kind of just one engineer building the MVP version, one designer, one product manager, and then one uh, engineer helping us with the back end. There was a void in terms of the engineering leadership part. So I was presented with the option that this is something new that we want to invest in as a company over the next few years. Would you like to take upon this opportunity? And I had always been a strong web development or website individual contributor or led teams doing web engineering. So I took upon myself to take upon a mobile division, not knowing mobile technologies firsthand as good as the other web technologies. And um, I was up to the challenge to make a place for mobility as a concept at Mark 43 to determine the org strategy for us as a company. And at the same time, establish trust with this new team and kind of my direct reports since I was a new leader, right? The first thing was, is too much going to change? Does Anand get it, what we're trying to do here? So my initial months were, were really immersed in building the trust with my team members one-on-one. -on -one. And I don't simply mean my engineering direct reports, right? The product and design uh, counterparts as well. If you think of the three pillars as PDE for like product design engineering for any kind of division to succeed, it was equally or probably at times more important for me that myself, my product lead and my design lead were in sync. And then I could go back to my engineering counterparts actually. So, uh, that is why I focused a lot on just relationship building in the first three months, actually. And it was more so in terms of just asking them questions in terms of what are you struggling with or what is kind of our current situation. It is like peeling an onion, right? like layers after layers. So they might almost feel like I was interrogating them after a certain point. But I wanted to showcase that I genuinely care and believe in the success of this kind of division and I see the vision on what we can achieve. That's why I took this up actually. And at the same time, showcasing vulnerability and kind of genuineness that I have been in the spot that they have, they are as an engineer where there is a little bit less direction from the leadership because that connective tissue, like somebody like myself was missing. That is the frontline middle management to get the message across actually. So I said like, it's not going to happen overnight, but let's kind of make sure that we are all aligned internally so I can advocate for us and our kind of where we see this going to the leadership. That progressed wonderfully over the past year and we grew from that one engineer, one PM, one designer to currently a team of 12. I have seven engineers and two designers, one product lead and a product consultant. So we grew from four people to 12 people over the year. I was able to do that actually because I trust my teams and kind of their investment actually, right? I told someone just last week, what still keeps me going with this division is because the people who were with this division 18 months ago when they started are still here actually. Even though they have had a lot of uh, misdirection or peaks and valleys of morale, or maybe a couple of times employee retention problems, they have been 
th here to thick and thin. And for someone who even joined them six months later, I trust that uh, them so much that if they see the value, I want to do even more for my team actually. Uh, that was just wonderful. And that just kind of helps me advocate uh, because our division is small, right? Other Our other product divisions are 30, 40 plus people uh, big. Mine is 30% of any other product division. So for me to advocate in terms of budgeting or resourcing or what should be our priorities, this trust factor that we are a tight-knit group and we achieve whatever we commit to really helps me take that case across to executive management and see that if you put time and effort in this group, we are delivering everything of value. It sounds like you worked a lot. And it also sounds like we are starting to pick trust apart to... Maybe some things that you mentioned, showing vulnerability and uh, building relationships. And I, without saying the word, I think you, you said building transparency and, mm -hmm. and showing your work to, to management. What else is there within trust? Or better yet, how are some other ways of building it? I would say one way to build it is not to break it, actually. It can sound very cheeky, but just uh, to be really candid, right? I would not want to promise one thing to one of my direct reports in a one-on-one -on -one and go do something completely opposite in the team weekly meeting three days later, or say something completely opposite to uh, my own manager who's the, who's the VP of engineering, right? So just making sure that you are, I would say, genuine with your verbal commitments actually right that goes a long way uh, some that. things uh, are really important the other thing i would say is also I, i'm saying a lot of transparency or just kind of be open and honest to everyone the other thing is oh, i have realized is while building these relationships just try to gauge uh, the level of comfort for folks, actually. There is always a saying that we hear uh, much in our tech leadership industry, Carolina, that praise in public, criticize in private. And over times, I've had a couple of really senior engineers come to me and say, we actually don't even like the praise in public. There are some people who just always want to be behind the scenes and just kind of do their craft and and kind of see the team succeed rather than being called upon in all hands meetings and just all these public kudos and everything. So there is also a personality type on being outspoken or, or kind of extrovert versus shy and introvert actually. So I, I want to make sure like I am saying like, you know, one-on-one -on -one that you did good, that's great. But then I don't want that engineer or direct report to feel surprised if I announce it to 400 people in our all hands later in the right. afternoon, actually. And we did not talk that, I think you did good, I'm going to highlight to the team and the company. So that thing is a little trust factor that I have come to realize where people in, in one-on-ones come to me and say, thank you for that. But uh, just, uh, I, I wish I would have known earlier, like as a heads up, I was actually out there uh, picking up something from the pharmacy or something and I was in the car when my name got called in front of her. So it can sound kind of very casual, but these things matter for people, right? So no surprises is kind of the point that I'm getting at, good or constructive in any sense in this trusting uh, relationship, actually. Uh, and I also hear building trust in very consecutive steps. It sounds like if you're mindful of your communications, it's going to help you in building trust with your team. As you mentioned, just pointing it out to someone that you, you will mention them to the entire team might make it a lot less perhaps stressful event in their lives. Correct. And, and, this is the reality, right? I invested a lot in my team and relationships over the past year, but now we are growing. Like since we grew 300 to 400%, the same processes did not scale well. I might not be able to give everyone that amount of time. Today, I am managing some of these folks directly, like managing ICs. Tomorrow, I might be managing them through others, like manager of managers, career progression, or kind of just growing into role, or somebody will grow into my role. So that trust is that kind of preserving aspect that will still help us function, whether or not I have direct FaceTime. It does not mean that they always need to come to me or 
and conversation needs to happen. They know how I am as a person, what I kind of believe in, the values I stand for. Uh, values is a new thing that I just introduced, actually. So just values that, that I stand for or they stand for, and they would be okay to function or be productive with or without kind of me being there or myself becoming a bottleneck in the long run, actually. I love that. So we have talked about a lot of things. What are some of the concrete tips that if someone is listening to us and they are wondering, okay, I need to be mindful of my communications. I need to be very transparent as to what we are doing or what I am doing. What else can you, can you suggest to leaders that they should do to have a higher trusting environment or better yet, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but how can they gauge what the trust is in their environment just now? Got it. So I think in order to establish trust, it is at multiple levels, right? Say at the individual level, I think one-on-ones is just what I said or, or what I've, I've read most about. I think that is the most, I would say, safe space with psychological safety, both ways for folks to just uh, be open and transparent, actually. At the team level, uh, it it is a bit of professional and then a bit of kind of casual where you do have weekly sync. Uh, so we do kind of weekly syncs just in terms of establishing trust that everyone is committed to the goals of the week. They show up, they are giving updates or like daily stand-ups, those form. So any kind of agile ritual and process where people are taking part just shows that you are establishing trust actually. And especially it's not when I say that these agile rituals and process are updates where people come and say, okay, I'm working on this. I'll get back once I'm done. Thank you. Bye. I'm going. It's like, I'm working on this. I think I have done this much, but I'm really struggling with this part. I am now more than happy to hear about any kind of ideas, or I would love someone to just look this with me or just eyeball it or just give a second kind of look together. That is the trust factor, right? That people can really be senior or opinionated or just kind of expert, but that one or time that they really struggle or they are just facing a roadblock, they are not shy to ask for help or support actually, right? That is the trust in that agile ritual or process part that we are truly thinking, as they say, like the ship, shipmate and myself kind of mindset uh, that I'm thinking about the team, then my colleagues, and then myself or my own self-interest that I really want to hold this piece of code base dear or this thing dear because it's complex and I would be the go-to subject matter expertise. And that's how people will always need to come to me. I don't see that, fortunately, in any of the teams or folks I work with at my company. So that is a huge trust from an organizational or team culture standpoint, actually. The other way I would think at the organizational level is definitely transparency around communication. There is a thin line that now that I am progressing in my leadership career, um, as an engineer, I always felt, I wish they had told us, like, why not did they tell? Like, what is the problem that leaders cannot tell each and everything that is going on? But now that I'm sitting in some of these conversations, I realize how much influx or fluid these conversations or decisions are as new information comes as kind of the strategic uh, landscape changes as our competitive intel or just kind of market positioning changes. So you would rather go to your folks with something concrete and directional rather than something fuzzy that you say, this is it, and then you come back five days later. So that is what I'm working with my team on coaching, that I've seen the other side actually, and my job is to make sure that I know something like this is being worked on or we are figuring out a strategy. Just be patient. We will roll this out by this timeline. And once we have some direction, then we as a group can focus or suggest the execution piece. So I think that just is great because I built those individual trust in the one-on-ones because we did these group discussions at the team, then the organizational trust becomes easy and everything kind of comes together beautifully in that regards actually. I love that. I love nuances. The world seems to forget nuances a lot yeah. of the times. But um, we mentioned building a transparent kind of relationship in which trust can blossom. But then also as a leader, you have to be mindful of the transparency, not to put 
for example, more stress on someone than they actually need to handle. And I love how you put it. You you made it sound like you still have to be transparent about the process. Like we are tackling this problem. It's not forgotten, but we haven't gotten the straightforward answer yet. So be patient with us as we figure out the next steps. And I think that kind of feeling like you are in the loop makes people trust their leaders more. Yeah, because whatever they are experiencing, I'm also experiencing, right? Like I am in 50% of the conversations, then there's board meetings, there's executive meetings that might happen at the C-suite level. And I understand how many competing priorities are just kind of things that we might tackle. So I would rather feel that I'm I'm being heard and this is an item on their agenda versus, okay, this just sounds kind of irrelevant to us or it might be a big thing in your world, but where we sit at this 30,000 fit view, it doesn't matter. That I don't see kind of in my teams or culture. And that is a huge trusting factor. I know that they'll get there in due time, actually. It's, it's just that it might take a little bit more time because there's just other kind of bigger org-wide initiatives that is being worked on. So there's definitely that kind of a prioritization or ruthless prioritization, as some might say, that is kind of a factor. So the more trust and clarity I have in my executive leadership, the more I can work with my team and peers to uh, form that trust uh, among us and, and they can feel comfortable as well. I love that. You mentioned coaching the individuals on the team. This is a the scenario that just popped into my head and I'm trying to give as much value to our listeners as possible. How do you help the team members have the trust in each other if they perhaps don't have it and they confide in you and say, in so many words, they say, I don't trust my teammate to finish this task or to help me with, with, my, with my project. What are some of the tips that come to your mind to help individuals trust each other more? Yeah, I, I, I love this question because a lot of what we might think is best practices, but this is the real deal what you just asked, right? I still go through this fairly often, more often than I would like actually, as the more uh, senior, or I would say the more tenured engineers I, I end up kind of having in my team or leading, where everyone wants the best for the team and direction, but they all have different approaches actually, or just kind of one opinion might be dear versus the other, right? Somebody might think that this can give us short-term success. Somebody might always be safeguarding for every single edge case or might be or engineering it to an extent, actually, in order to make something always future-proof. So the one thing I have realized is, and, and you can kind of correct me in your experience as well, right? One thing that I've not done till yet is I have not gotten, say there are two individuals who are facing this problem. I have not had a three-way call where I am inviting them both to a single call and saying that let's let the three of us all together. I have not done that, uh, to be honest. What I've done is I have talked to both of them individually in my one-on-ones, actually, and just said that I leave this to you folks, hoping that at least one of them kind of gets the message that I'm trying to convey and reaches out to the other folks. And that has happened, right? I bought these two people to connect directly. Uh, even I might kind of be a frontline middle management, but there's some form of executive presence if I'm in the call with them because they both report to me actually, and they might not be as authentic or just speak their minds in a three-way conversation versus they would in kind of just them both dealing with each other uh, actually to bring their points across actually. So something that I'm doing, and, and this is more that I see on technical discussions. It's not a personal thing. Like it's not that I, I don't like you or you're not a good person or those things. People, I see that they genuinely respect each other's work and craft. It goes back to my definition of trust, right? They know that these folks are reliable and credible because they have been in the industry for, say, five, seven, ten years. They have done work. They are in the team. They are the peer at the same level. But then there's something called a trust equation that was put out. And what I said, like credible and reliable, is the numerator. The denominator of the trust equation, which I left out conveniently, but what it meant is the amount of trust depends on what you see the other person is trying to do 
in their own self-interest. And that self-interest is where most of this miscommunication happens, where a senior engineer might feel that this other person is trying to push their agenda out or just because they believe in this concept for their own good, right? Whether it's kind of career progression or, or just trying to be a subject matter expert or just because they really believe in this school of thought, they are trying to push their own personal agenda to an extent. And that is where most conflicts arise uh, in that regards that I don't believe we need to do this to an extent. If you feel the need for it, just go ahead and do it. But I'm not going to participate in this activity because you feel we need to do this as a team. This whole self-interest bubble is kind of what causes confusion. And I've had to deal with situations over the past year in terms of trying to bring them to the values that I see that you are both genuinely invested in making our product high quality and high touch UX for our customers that can scale well. Your approaches are different, right? The magnitude of what you believe can help us get there is different. So it's not that you want different things or you are saying that we should not do this versus the other. You're saying to what extent should we commit to now versus in future? And that is what I work at the individual level. And over time, one realizes versus the other that actually they probably just did not have a strong opinion themselves. But just because somebody had a stronger opinion and was trying to really push this onto the team, it irked them actually that why is there kind of just a top-down kind of flow for anything? We're all peers in a flat structure. And then over time, they realize that, okay, I see why you might really think that way. I think it's okay to do that. Or, oh, I see actually why you don't want to do it. Let's do this at a minimum, and then we'll see if we really need to do the full part, actually. And then these conversations naturally happen. So that is kind of what I see. The whole uh, self-interest thing is a factor that causes such a form of kind of not-so-pleasant uh, experiences, actually. Thank you. Thank you. A couple of things came to my mind as you were speaking. First of all, I think mediation, as you mentioned, like a three-way call should only happen if someone requests it. Yeah. But I was also thinking as you were talking that our topic today, trust, is really like a, a higher level, additional kind of layer to everything that we do all the time. And it almost made me think, you know, this conversation is really going to be for senior engineers who are already, you know, trusting that other people will get everything done and not like not distrusting other people's technical skills. But then I thought trust is so important as you put it when there is self-interest. I imagine young engineers who, for example, don't trust their seniors enough or they don't trust themselves enough. So I think trust is really a topic that can be discussed and dissected in every level of the organization. And so when you are in middle management and you get the pleasure of working with senior engineers, you can help them build the the trust that we more so understand in, in the layman's words of, of everyday life. But then when you work with less senior engineers or newcomers, they have to first build the trust within themselves to know, you know, like, is this that I found on Stack Overflow really good? Should I be yeah. the one to judge it? And senior engineers can help junior engineers build trust within themselves first and then they can turn that kind of outward and and find their peers to be trustworthy in the yeah. in the technical sense yeah one one hundred percent and it's great that you said that that for senior engineers they might always be skeptical that this feels complex or or just this is uh, just something in the area that I'm familiar with. I'm not sure if a junior engineer can do justice to the level of solution or the timeline that I could do it. And they keep on doing that work actually. So we never kind of spread the knowledge or just we don't kind of upskill everyone on the team. That is a factor for the junior engineers. They are still learning the technical aspects and, and the corporate culture. So they are less trusting of themselves to begin with. So you are not confident whether you can take that on. If you luckily have a senior engineer or, or a mentor or a buddy who's giving you direction, 
don't expect in the industry that everyone, because you were hired, right? People expect that you are able to showcase your skills or at least do some level of hustle to figure things out after an extent. So don't expect a run book or like just instruction manual that go to this file, make that change, then just make sure that you are not having a circular reference or you make sure you're running your test, make sure there is no kind of edge cases for if else or null pointers, all those things. You'll expect that direction that it's probably this area of code that needs updates or it might be worthwhile checking that the so the senior engineers at times intentionally give half-baked information to junior engineers to see if they can take upon themselves and just kind of trust and figure it out actually and they take this as a challenge it's very difficult for as a junior engineer when you are still a little bit insecure about your role as well as having some level of imposter syndrome actually that out of college I got this job and I think I certainly need to prove everything. How do I make it happen? At the time you get half-baked information. So you feel that your peers or your senior engineers are not helping. They're intentionally setting you up to fail actually in some sense. But it's the opposite that you realize that they're actually giving you a huge opportunity to go through failures, experience those early on, that these experiences will be valuable as you progress in your career actually in that regard. So I think it's great. I, I'm talking a lot about the peer relationships at the senior level, but we talk about more about the leveling aspects in a more vertical fashion. Trust has a whole new meaning altogether. I love that. Thank you so much. I am trying to be mindful of the time here. So um, let me switch gears a little bit and uh, move into uh, feedback. It's always a great topic. Sometimes it's challenging. Giving constructive feedback, giving perhaps negative feedback. You have already mentioned that even with praise, you should be mindful of how you deliver it. What channels would you recommend our listeners use for feedback in a remote environment? What do you use? And also what other aspects of feedback and trust um, would you want to highlight for us? Yeah, I, I would say the first thing that comes to my mind, and this is all that I have had varying degrees of success or failures that are collective experiences is with feedback, just give, but also receive feedback, right? I first need to be okay that I might receive not so great feedback, right? I might, I'm an employee or just also someone's direct report at the end of the day. So if I feel that, oh, if I go seek feedback from my direct reports and everyone scores me a five out of 10, well, what's going to happen to me? But it might be that once I hear that five out of 10 are the reasons that will help me give them better feedback, their five out of 10 might be because we're not getting direction or consistent feedback from Anand. So I first need to receive feedback to uh, over time perfect the art of giving feedback actually. So it goes both ways. At the interpersonal or career growth aspects, actually, I definitely use my alternate one-on-one. So at least I do bi-weekly one-on-one. So at least once a month, we are talking about two things. First is whether somebody is liking the work or opportunity that they have. And the second is what they want to do, say, six months or three months or a year from now. Because I think my number one job as a people manager while leading a team is to align opportunity with interests. I am aware at least a little bit more than my team, what are some opportunities on the horizon for our organization, our division, or the teams that we are forecasting or planning into our roadmaps of the future. And I know at an individual level or at a collective level, what are some things that the team or the individual is interested in. If I can kind of form that matchmaking, that is a win-win in my mind that people are motivated. They get to work on uh, challenging and fun items. More so engineers like to prefer that rather than the same kind of work, actually. Uh, so that versus kind of the opportunities that might be a new proof of concept, a new kind of discovery that we need to do or to test out a new idea, or is delivering for a key solution which might need more collaboration. It's a complex kind of project across teams. So that is important where I am getting feedback from them in terms of, am I doing the right thing actually? And then each month I try to give them feedback in terms of, this is what we committed to verbally or just kind of as a trust between each other that uh, this is what you will contribute towards. This is how it's going. Anything that you could do more of or less of actually. And it's 
always as much possible backed with examples, right? One thing I am blessed with or I get praised often is having that photogenic memory. Right? I can hunt down a six-month-old Slack message or I can, in my mind, recall what I talked with someone 15 months ago and they are like, oh, yes, you are right. That just helps people or at times puts them on the spot that, oh, you are right. I did say that I'll do that. Uh, sorry, I said like this will happen six months ago. I've still not got into that. Or you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that. I didn't even realize that I did all of that during the past year because, and this ties into the next point, which is kind of feedback around performance reviews to an extent, actually. We do six-month performance reviews at my current place. And I think that works well over the yearly ones, actually, because the more you stretch out, the more people think over the last three to four months what they did actually, and then it dismisses what they did six months, nine months ago, unless somebody is keeping a, a track record or a document of all things they did. And at times it's really important to realize kind of things that truly stand out or kind of the things that were above and beyond, right? You don't want your early performance review to simply read meets expectations everything that is assigned to, they do it well, and it's great. You want to find those light bulb moments or just rare diamonds in the rough kind of moments where you really kind of stood for the team or just you took upon something where no one was willing to or you went above and beyond or you helped like a production kind of support incident um, as well. Another thing that I'm trying to actively advocate for in the giving feedback thing is um, more often we praise firefighting that you are helping solve a P0 situation or a war room incident. I am now shifting my conversations and mindset to how can I celebrate people who build fireproof architectures to begin with? Why even get to the firefighting stage? And we always say that, wow, this person is great. He is doing production support. He's working overtime. But why even get someone to that stage and praise them? How can we praise people who are trying to prevent that or, or kind of put in resilience for that part? So that is what I give feedback on, that this item that you delivered, was there something that we could do to avoid this hypothetical scenario in the future. There is a balance, right? I don't want them to or engineer every little pull request, which is like five lines and say, can you make it 50 lines and safeguard for this unicorn situation that might or might not happen. But at least thinking this in a more proactive cadence helps us kind of us as a team in that regard. So I would say that is good. And the last part I'll say around technical feedback, I do that with an engineering roundtable with my team every week. And we do that with retrospectives where people are much more open now to peer feedback. A lot of the technical feedback cannot come directly from me because over time I'm not closer to the technical decision-making or the work that is being implemented, right? I'm much more a part of the inception and then why we do it and what are we doing, the how we are doing it, the nitty-gritty. I, over time, I'm kind of spending less time with and I trust my teams to do that. So that feedback has to come from the peer circle, that is the other engineers or kind of the people who are living through the consequences of that, like our customers or internal CS team based on the inbound. So that is another layer of feedback that I'm trying to in implement. It's not that every piece of feedback can or should come through me because I'm not kind of equipped with all the information that can help an individual, both from a career standpoint, interest level, plus the technical output level. Right, right. Thank you very much. And thank you for highlighting that uh, you are paying attention to your direct reports work, because I think all of what you have just said boils down to do the people trust that you are paying attention as a leader? And I think that is like one of the most important things that uh, a leader can, can be accountable for. Thank you. We have covered a really great area of trust and how it is built in remote teams and how it is built in engineering teams. We talked about giving feedback and we talked about being mindful with your communications and being constructive and uh, even keeping people in the loop about the progress that one is making about an issue. And um, I I actually, I think there there is a lot more to say about this topic, but do you have anything else to add that you think is very important in this regard? No, I think uh, all I said is just uh, my little baby steps in this journey, actually. And I think there's a lot 
for me to learn and grow in these uncertain times with the industry. So I, I'm excited on, on once this is out and I would love to connect with folks in the industry and, and hear their opinions or just their experiences because there's only a, a finite set of things I can experience in a given role or, or leading a given team. So the more diverse and kind of individual perspectives we hear from across the globe, that will help us collectively be better at this actually. Sure, I completely agree with you. More eyes see see more things. So with that said, where can our listeners follow your work? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I, I would say I would recommend just my LinkedIn profile. That's where I post all the work that comes out. I also have a link tree profile, which is kind of a single page. Uh, I'll, I'll send the link after to include, but I think my LinkedIn profile, just my name, Anand Safi, and you'll find me there. I do make a point to read each and every kind of message request to see if there's something I can do or if I can kind of direct them to some place or someone who can help unblock. That's just my little time that I've carved out each week to make sure that I am able to connect with the community. And I've gotten a lot of support from the peer community during my kind of career progression or just my industry networking thing. So the last, the least I can do is just uh, be reciprocal and, and return the favor, actually. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you in the name of our listeners and people who, who might uh, look for any kind of guidance. With that said, this concludes our conversation for today. I am so thankful you could uh, join us. Dearest listeners and watchers, today my guest was Anand Safi. He is a senior engineering manager at Mark 43, and we talked about trust, building it, and having it built in a remote team. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Carolina. It was great. Bye. Dearest listeners and watchers, I am Carolina Thoth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.